Have you or do you ever feel small? Kind of like a pipsqueak, if you will. Like the last person who could ever make a difference or the last person standing when teams are chosen. Even if teams aren't being chosen in your life anymore, it just feels like that. Now, I felt like that at different points in my life. One of the first times I remember feeling like I was a pipsqueak <laughs> was uh, in middle school. I felt like that for most of middle school. And my struggles weren't these existential struggles, like I'm just a pea in the middle of the world. How could I ever make a difference? My struggles were uh, the girl I had a crush on beat me in arm wrestling. Um, then I'm thinking, hmm, this probably isn't going anywhere. Uh, and you imagine that never worked out. And I often felt a little bit picked on. So I remember one time there was this guy who, who turned out to be just actually, from everything I know, just a really great adult. But in junior high, as we called middle school back then in the 80s, uh, he, I thought he was picking on me. And so I thought, I've got to stand up for myself. So I remember some reason... He had his arm on one of my shoulders, um, and we were kind of like face-to-face -face like this. And I was like, he's pushing me around too much. i got to stand up for myself. So I started to hit him with my right hand, okay? Now, here's the thing. We're like this, so I can see his face. And the only look on his face is total and utter shock, but zero pain. And as I'm hitting him, I'm realizing I've got nothing on this. It's like I'm swatting a fly. So afterwards, all these people, you know, they jump in and it gets broken up. And he's like, I want to fight you after school. And you better, you better meet me by the bike racks. And I'm like, I'll meet you at the bike racks. And I did, except I knew the bike racks he was talking about. And I knew another set of bike racks. And I went there. Okay. <laughs> I stayed the heck away from the real bike racks because I knew what would happen. I, I, didn't, I wasn't a very good fighter. I just knew sometimes I had to stand up for myself. And I also knew my brother picked me up at the other bike racks too. So I had a backup if I could stall long enough if he happened to find me, which he didn't. But I don't think if you'd have seen little Brad Zinn in seventh grade hiding at the wrong bike racks, you'd think, wow, there's a hero. There's a, there's a warrior. There's someone who's going to stand up and fight. But I think what you also saw is someone that wasn't too different from the people that God tends to choose in the scriptures to make a difference. This series is all about people that you would never expect God would use to do anything profound or meaningful or to stand up and fight or to be a hero. Unlikely Heroes is the name of our series. And so today we're going to look at another story of an unlikely hero, someone from the Bible, and actually as much the process that God takes them through to help develop them into someone who can stand up, who has some confidence. And so we're going to watch as God works with someone to develop them into, as the story plays out, a real hero. So let me set the story for you. This is a story from the history of Israel. 
It's probably, it was a young nation at that point and probably the lowest point in the history of, the, of that nation to that point. A foreign nation called the Midianites had come in and they're described like a swarm of locusts. If you read historically, what you find out is the Midianites had, I think it was brass chariots and the Israelites didn't. And so when 135,000 Midianites uh, came rushing in, uh, the Israelites were utterly overrun. In fact, if you read the whole story, which we don't have time to read everything in it, they end up living in caves and hiding out to save their lives and just to try and keep something going. And so this is the background that we start our story in today. And we find our hero, a person named Gideon. And this is reading from Judges chapter 6, verse 11. I'm not going to read the whole story in order because it's a long story, but I'm going to pop in and out and make sure you get um, all of the big points. So uh, in Judge chapter 6, it says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak tree in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Now, probably the most significant detail here that will help you understand the rest of the story is this one that doesn't mean that much to us today. So what's Gideon doing? He is threshing wheat. So has anyone threshed wheat here before? Okay, zero, okay. In a wine press. Now, has anyone seen a wine press? Uh, someone thinks they might have seen a wine press. So let me tell you a little bit. Threshing wheat was this process where after you harvest wheat, it's got all this stuff on the outside of it called chaff. And you've got to get the chaff off of the wheat so you can get down to the kernel, which is what you can make bread out of. That's the edible part. And so what you would do in an open-air setting, you would take this big, giant pitchfork-like thing, and you'd throw the wheat up in the air, and the wind would come by. It would blow off the chaff, and what would be left would be the kernels, and that's what you can make bread from. That's what you could eat. So Gideon is threshing wheat, but he's doing it in a wine press. And the significant thing about a wine press is that it has walls. Because when you press the wine, you've got to keep the juice in there. It can't just go everywhere. So he's throwing wheat up in a walled environment where there's no wind. It would be very difficult to thresh wheat in a wine press because the wind couldn't get through to blow away the chaff. And so this is sort of a ridiculous place for Gideon to be. It's like me hiding out at the wrong bike racks, just hoping Sean doesn't show up, right? It's, it, it's, a, it's a sign of fear. So this is where Gideon starts. He's afraid. He's not a hero. And what we'll see in the rest of the story is how God invests in him to sort of flip the script and prepare him for heroic action. And so I've called this how you can be a hero. And I will say this. I don't think this is like a five-step process. We're going to look at four or five things that God doesn't, but I don't know that it always works exactly like this. But I think we can learn from this process. And some of these things might be happening in your life right now. So the first thing I think we can learn from this is to let God affirm you. Continue with our story. Uh, the first thing that God says to Gideon is in verse 12, and he says, The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, do you catch the irony here, the surprise in this moment? It's that the angel, who we find out later is the angel of God, or actually God himself, calls Gideon a mighty warrior as he's hiding out from the Midianites, trying to do something ridiculous, which is thresh wheat in a wine press, totally afraid. 
Now, I point this out because I feel like this is how God will sometimes, if not often, work in our lives. When he's preparing us for something or when we're at our lowest point, he'll come to us and affirm us. He'll say, this is who you are, even though it's not the experience that you're having right now. It's as if he shows faith in us. Now, this might be something you've never thought about. I think we talk a lot, and I think we should. I think it's helpful about how God wants us to have faith in God, how we can have faith in God. And you may have lots of shortcomings, but I think God wants you to know that he actually has faith in you. God wants you to know who you can be someday if you'll trust him if you'll follow him. So he greets Gideon, a weak, scared, hidden person as a mighty warrior. Why is that so important? Well, I think one of the biggest killers of what God wants to do in our lives can be self-doubt. When self-doubt takes control, it stops whatever God wants to do in our lives before it even gets a chance to start. It can cause us to disqualify ourselves. And you can notice Gideon's response. He says, but Lord, this is in verse 15, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. Gideon has all kinds of actually very reasonable excuses why he is not a good person to choose. He's from this town called Ophrah. If you translate Ophrah, it means town of dustiness. Exciting place to live. Uh, his family doesn't have much money. They don't have position. They don't have clout. And he's the lowest in his own family. So you might say things to yourself sometimes, like, I'm not educated. I'm not attractive. I have a learning disability. I come from a messed up family. I've made some big mistakes. I've tried before. But I think when God sees you, he says, I see a great father. I see the next great scientist. I see you keeping kids from a life on the streets. I see you changing a city. I see a difference maker. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I think for us, it can be a helpful exercise to from time to time in our lives, find some space and ask God a question like this. What do you think of me? I think a lot of us, we don't want to ask that question. Maybe we're afraid of what the answer would be. Gideon would have a lot of reasons to be afraid to ask God, what do you think of me? We have a lot of our own presuppositions or ideas in our own head about who we are, what we are, and what we can't be. And a lot of times we have authority figures in our lives who haven't been the most encouraging or the most supportive. And so asking the ultimate authority figure to speak into your life might be kind of scary. But what I found is when we have the opportunity to create some space and actually pray in a way where we ask God, what do you think of me? What is your heart towards me? The response we get is so much more encouraging than you could ever imagine. What do you think of me? And maybe a follow-on question, what do you want me to do? 
It can be about something small in our lives or about some big things in our lives. And asking God these questions and creating a little space to listen and maybe even writing down what you think you might be hearing, knowing that you could be wrong. But usually when it is God, it really resonates and you just know. It can be a life-changing experience, particularly if you're able to do this next thing, which is know that God will be with you. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? The Lord answered, I will be with you. You will strike down the Midianites as if they were but one man. First is God's affirmation. You can do it. This is who you are. Second, God's revelation, if you will. Gideon, I'm here. I'm alongside you. I'm going to help you. You're not alone in this situation. I think this is important because without this revelation or when we lose touch with this or sometimes whatever life circumstances it's really hard to connect with this, we can get angry or bitter at God. Verse 13 says, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hands of Midian. You know what? That is a super, super fair question to ask God. The circumstances of Gideon's life and his people are incredibly negative. Where is God? Now, in this situation... If you read the whole story, there's some backstory where uh, a prophet comes and says, look, you guys, God said he'd be with you, um, but you kind of turn your back on him. And sort of where you are is because of what you chose. That can be our story. But you know what? Sometimes you're the person trying to lean in and follow Jesus. And you're not perfect, but you're giving it everything that you've got. And it just doesn't look like things have worked out. Maybe you've even made some big sacrifices. I think what can be helpful is to realize that God is is with you. It may not feel like it. You may not be able to see him. You may not have an angel appearing to you like Gideon does. And that despite whatever our current circumstances might be, he wants to come alongside us. He wants to encourage us and empower our lives. But sometimes, either because we're on the front end or because we've been, as the Bible sometimes refers to it, running the race for a long time, we need this next thing, and that is to build trust with God. This is where risk comes in. If you're at the beginning or you've been doing it a while and you're disappointed, this is where risk comes in because We build trust with God by taking risks. But notice something about God in this passage. Like, no matter where you are, if that seems hard for you, God is super patient. In verse 17, it says, Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. So, If you've read a little bit of the Bible, you know, one of the things that 
the authors of the Bible tell you to do a lot or not to do and is to not test God. You're just supposed to take things on faith and act. And I think that's the ideal. But we're not always in the place in life where that trust, although it's always a risk, comes even less easy. I don't know if I use proper English to say that. It came out kind of weird. What I'm saying is, like, sometimes it's not that easy. And sometimes you have real reasons, and you can look at point to things in your life where you're like, it's really hard for me to trust God in this area particularly, or just in general. And maybe I read the Bible, I understand, like, the ideal place for me to be would be to th maybe think I hear something from God or see something in the Bible and just do it. But sometimes we need more. And maybe that's where we want to be. Maybe that's where we can build to in our lives. Or maybe we have seasons like that, but every once in a while we have a season where we're disappointed and we just need some encouragement. We need something more. And so Gideon, I've read this, I've, I've heard people talk about Gideon before, and they just give him the hardest time. They beat him up because he keeps asking God for signs, signs, signs. But God doesn't seem to care. It says, and the Lord said, I will wait until you return. God's going to wait. I just chill out. I don't know what he's going to do there under a tree. Didn't have a phone to pull out. Check the scores. I don't know what he's doing, but he's just going to wait for Gideon to go cook a meal and come back. That's patience. And God is willing to invest time into Gideon to develop him. He trains him on how to take risks and builds this relationship of trust. So as the story goes on, the first thing that Gideon does has nothing to do with the Midianites. It's local. It's his family. Verse 25, that same night the Lord said to him, take a second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal. That's another God that his father had built an altar to. Cut down the Asherah pole. That's another God that his father had built uh, an idol to. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. Offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants as did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid, his family, afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. All right, so here we have Gideon. He had, he had had some experience. So what happens? He, God makes this, or Gideon makes this meal for God. God takes God, the angel of God, touches it with his staff. It burns up, and then the angel disappears, right? So pretty dramatic, oh, my gosh, or oh, my God, that was God moment, right? After that, God gives him this little assignment, and he does it, but he does it in the middle of the night, right? And he's scared. And it's not like he walks out in the middle of the day, chest out, arms at his side. All right, people, you've got it all wrong. I'm tearing down these idols. I'm building one to the Lord, my God. Get in line. Do your best. Instead, it's the middle of the night. It's more like, psst. Psst. Come over here. Come on. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. 
don't make too much noise. If we can do this and get out of here and no one knows it's us, great. So it's the middle of the night. He's quiet. And I've heard people say, oh, what a wimp. What a pipsqueak. What a... He's already had a real experience with God. Why can't he just live by faith? But there's a process happening here. He's not ready to take on the Midianites. First, he has to face his family and the townspeople. This is scary enough for him. This is a big enough challenge. And let's give him some credit. He takes a lot of risk here. There's a spiritual risk here. He's tearing down altars to other gods. And that culture, man, those gods come right back on you. What's going to happen? It's emotional. He's tearing down his father's altar. So he's going against his dad. That's not easy. It's physical. There are people of the town who could get angry and really mess him up. And here's what happens. In verse 28, it says, In the morning when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished, with the Asherah pole beside it cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? And when they carefully investigated, they were told, Gideon, son of Joash, did it. And the people of the town demanded Joash, demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die, because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's case? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So Gideon was scared. He could only do it at night, but Gideon sees God come through for him in a spiritual way. First of all, Baal, Asherah, there's no spiritual negative consequences for him. Second, Emotional. His father backs him up. And then third, physical, nobody attacks him. So Gideon is learning through smaller risks that God can be trusted. The next thing that can be super helpful is Gideon experiences God's power. In verse 34 it says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abizrites to follow him. Now, Gideon is experiencing God like he never has before. The phrase, the Spirit of God came on Gideon, in Hebrew literally means the Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. And this is incredible. And I think in a lot of ways, a lot of us are hungry for some type of connection like this to God. We want to experience more of God in amazing ways. And it happens to Gideon as he's taking risks to follow God. And now he's energized, and he starts doing things he would have never thought that he could do. He, he puts out word to gather people, and 32,000 men, it says, join him to stand up to the Midianites. But then God does something that's really interesting and I think important for us to understand. And this is another thing that can be helpful to us, and that is to remember your source. So experience God's power. Now that can be... There's, there's lots of ways that we can lean into that. Some is just in a moment when we worship and we lift our hearts to God. Uh, there are promises that God's presence is among the praises of his people. You could experience God here this morning. But it could be 
in a moment that you step back in a difficult situation and you don't know what to do and you ask for help. It could be in that situation with your kids where you're overwhelmed. You don't know what to do. You have a light bulb moment or some extra grace enters. It can come in so many different ways. And it's good and okay to ask for that and pray for that and look for that, create space for that and hope for that. And when you have experiences like that, I think it's also helpful to remember your source. And what do I mean? Well, the story goes on. It says, early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morath. The Lord, you ever read the Bible and think you're reading something from like Lord of the Rings? It's just like, anyway, unnecessary aside. So the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands like lapping dogs, and the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said, With the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent out the rest, sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Now, I think there's a really helpful message here. Who you're to become, who I'm to become, the victories that we have in our lives to come. They're all a gift of grace. And I think this is how we can hope for big things, uh, but keep our feet on the ground at the same time. This is how we can dream big about what we, what can be and understand our own limitations. This is how we can see amazing things in Philadelphia, but never say my own strength has saved me. God wants, I think, Gideon to understand this. So, that he keeps coming back to the source of his power, God himself. And the reason that his people were in this mess in the first place is they forgot that. So let me encourage you to do something. Whenever you read a story from the Old Testament, ask yourself, where's the gospel? Where's the gospel in this story? Where do I see Jesus in this story? Where is grace? Right here is where I see Jesus in the story of Gideon. So what happens? Uh, We don't have time to read it. I'll just tell you. Uh, They win the war or the battle without firing a shot. So uh, Gideon takes his 300 people, some clay pots, and some candles, and some horns, like trumpets. And they just surround the enemy camp uh, with candles and pots and trumpets to blow and they shout really loud drop the pots so they break and you can see the flames and their enemies freak out and run away they don't have to 
They don't have any swords. They don't use any weapon. And so they can't be like, my own strength has saved me here. And this is the same message we get from the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is Jesus doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. It's him taking our weakness, our brokenness, our sin on himself, and just putting it to death on the cross so that we can live a new life in him by faith. And we're saved through his strength. And this story is what gives us confidence to trust God when we're in touch with our need. Even when we doubt ourselves, when we feel weak, it gives us just enough to take a risk. We can build our ability to trust, and then by doing so, experience more and more of the power of God in our lives. That's good news. So if you're on the front end of faith, you can expect this process in different ways over and over through your life. Following Jesus isn't like, okay, I build up, 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 and then I reach this point where I figured it out. God's invested in me. Now I get it. I'm a hero. It's more like I learn, 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 and Lord willing, I have this cool victory in my life. But then I realize, oh my gosh, there's this whole area, other area of my life where it's really difficult for me to trust. And you start over. And maybe you can trust a little bit more because you've had this experience over here. And then what happens usually is sometimes something really unexpected can happen. And even though you've had all of these, you've seen this pattern of new life coming up over and over, suddenly you've done everything right. But you don't get the clay pot victory. So you notice Jesus did everything right, and he ended up on a cross. So this Gideon pattern, it happens a lot. This is the normal thing, but sometimes things happen. Jesus worked a lot of miracles. People tried to kill him in his life and couldn't do it until there was a challenge that no one saw coming but him. That happens in our lives too sometimes. Where it doesn't look like things pay off. That's tough. And I don't want to preach a sermon about Gideon and let that be the whole story because that would be doing you a disservice. The bigger story is a story of redemption. Please remember that. Not just victory. Redemption is what comes after a loss. When God takes loss and renews it and turns it into something beautiful. That's the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So hear this. This is, I think, what normally happens. But you might come up against something where you do everything right and it doesn't pan out. Now you're really into the story of Jesus. Something dies in your life. What is the resurrection that will come out of that? Because that's not the end of the story either. Where is Jesus? And so at that point, I think it's helpful to ask a couple questions. Come back to the ones we talked about earlier. 
God, how do you see me? This is tough. I don't know where to go from here. Can we start at the beginning? How do you see me again? And then, what do you want me to do? Sometimes the doing is just being. But sometimes they'll say, why don't you try this? Why don't you take this risk? And it's putting another step out there in faith, hoping for redemption, resurrection, and renewal. Let's pray.